Uh, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. We are glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we have been studying the gospel according to John, and the past couple of months we've zeroed in on this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples uh, the last evening that he is with them. And it's a rather lengthy conversation, and it's actually full of tons of spiritual truths. And so we've actually been going pretty slow through this conversation. Last week, Jesus was telling his disciples what they should expect in terms of how the world will receive them after he has departed. And if you weren't here, to summarize it, it's not going to be fun. They're going to have a hard time. But Jesus follows that prophetic warning with a promise, a promise to send someone to help them. Let's listen to see who he's going to send. John chapter 16 we're going to begin with the second half of verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as I pray for us this morning. Oh God, we come to you once again to a passage that sounds somewhat confusing. And we might be tempted to think we need some kind of special uh, decoder ring to understand what is happening. But we thank you that you have promised to send us the spirit of truth to help us hear the gospel. So I ask that through the spirit, we would hear the words of life this morning, that we would be encouraged, we would be convicted we would feel and experience your love for us. I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Raiders of the Lost Ark begins with the most intense scene in cinematic history. If you disagree, you're wrong. Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, stands in a darkened tomb. In front of him, on a pedestal, is this brilliant, gold-shining figurine, the idol that he has been working towards all through the beginning of the movie. All the booby traps, the heat, the terrible nastiness of the jungle has led him to this point. And as he looks in closely, the camera zooms in on him. He pulls from his bag another bag full of sand. He's kind of guessing the weight. Reaches in, pulls some out, lets it fall to the floor. Camera zooms in even closer as he reaches his hand out, one hand with the bag, one hand on the idol, and he move, makes the exchange. Now he has this idol in his hand. A smirk comes across his face. It has worked. 
The exchange worked perfectly. So he turns his back to his companion waiting on the other side of the room, and of course we know what happens. The stone pedestal begins to sink into the ground. It wasn't the right weight of sand. The exchange has not worked. And of course, he has to run all the way back through the temple, full of all the booby traps. Once again, giant boulder comes down after him, and he dives out into the jungle just in the nick of time. It's a great, great, great scene. The exchange did not work. And as unrealistic as this movie is, we know that so often when you are asked to exchange things, it's not going to go well. Nobody asks you when you're in school to exchange for your tuna sandwich. They want to exchange for your pudding pack, right? You're always feeling like when you exchange something, you are going to get the low end of the stick. Jesus here is talking about an exchange that will never, ever, ever disappoint. Jesus, as we've said, is preparing the disciples for life after he rises from the dead and ascends into heaven. What will life be like when Jesus is not around them anymore? And it hasn't been exactly the easiest thing for them to hear, but what he is saying is they will exchange his physical presence for the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it is great encouragement to them. And as we've said throughout this, uh, in looking at this conversation, it's important to us to know that that's what Jesus is talking about because you and I were born into that world where Jesus' physical presence is absent. But the Holy Spirit is active, incredibly active, and is present everywhere. So the encouragement that Jesus, Jesus gives to his disciples here is direct encouragement to us and our situation as well. And what Jesus says to the disciples is, we need the truth for ourselves and for the world. We actually just have two points this morning. If you were looking for three, I apologize, but that's where we're at. We need the truth for ourselves and the world. We're starting with the fact that we need the truth. When Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away, the disciples must have been like, how? How is it to our advantage, Jesus? Even if we get anyone else in return, how can we get any better than you? There's something so primary about their relationship to God that comes from Jesus, something so powerful and fundamental. It seems highly unlikely that an exchange would be beneficial in any way, right? The, their mindset reminds me of this silly story about the little boy sitting in Sunday school, and the teacher says, kids, what is small and brown, lives in trees and eat nuts? And the kid in the back raises his hand and says, I'm thinking squirrel, but I'm going to go with Jesus, there's something so fundamental about who he is. How could going with anything but Jesus be to our advantage? Well, to be honest, Jesus was in some ways limited by the bounds of his physical body, by space and time. That was part of how he humbled himself at the incarnation. The Holy Spirit is not. What Jesus was able to teach and preach to multitudes of people while he was on earth, perhaps 10, 15,000 people in his three-year ministry, the Holy Spirit does 300 times over every second, all across the world. There is something unlimited about the Holy Spirit that Jesus says will be to our advantage. This is why when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he uses such ultimate language 
He says things like, the Holy Spirit will convict all the world. He will declare to you all that the Father has given to me. He says he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus is not being hyperbolic. He is saying these things purposefully in order to help the disciples and us understand that this next step, Jesus ascending into heaven, departing physically from the disciples, and sending the Holy Spirit is the ultimate step of God's plan for redemption. He says he will guide you into all the truth, all of it. Now, this is where things can go awry. You see, in the early church, there was this group of people who heard this phrase, and they said, see, Jesus, great guy, awesome teacher. The things he said, really, really important. We also like the cross, great, good for that. But the Spirit is going to lead us into all knowledge. Jesus gave us a little bit of it, but now through the Spirit, we're going to get the rest of the story. They would say, there's more to being a Christian, and it has to do with spiritual knowledge. Right? They were called the Gnostics. There was some kind of knowledge that you gain only from the Spirit that would lead you to another level of understanding, a better Christianity. Jesus, good. Cross, good. But that's the basics. That's 1.0. In order to advance and mature, the Spirit takes you to the next level, to 2.0. Now, you and I, we are not too far off from that same line of thought often. Perhaps we don't say it the same way they would, but we do say things and think things like, I just need to know what the right thing to do is here. Which is the right job for me to take? What is the right way for me to parent my child? Who are the right people for me to hang out with? Who is the right person to date, to get married to? Now, those things in and of themselves are not bad. They're good questions to ask, but the weight which we give the answer reveals how ultimate we think this decision is. We begin to tie answering the question, what is right, to our identity. Like there is this ultimate truth, and if I just loved Jesus more, if I was a better follower of Jesus, I would know what to do. I would have the knowledge to make the right choice. We believe that there is some place to get to. Now, Jesus says, the spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. And that might seem like he's talking about a location, perhaps. Maybe there's a, a mystical endpoint called all truth, and the spirit is going to lead us there. But that's not how he's talking about it. Jesus is speaking about truth here as the conduit through which the Holy Spirit carries us in our lives. It is into all truth that He carries us throughout our lives. It's kind of a funny way of speaking about it, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying. And He summarizes what that truth is for us, for the disciples here. He says it involves sin, it involves righteousness, and it involves judgment. That's it. Very straightforward. Very simple. He explains it a little bit further, though, thankfully. He says, the truth that comes from the Spirit will tell us what the problem is. The problem is sin. Verse 9, they don't believe in me. Sin is the problem. But 
the Spirit of truth will also tell us the solution, right? The solution, righteousness, verse 10, that I am going to my Father. Now, when he says this is what righteousness has to deal with, when he talks about this being the solution, I am going to my Father is a simple way of explaining all of his redeeming activity. I am going to my Father is Jesus' shorthand for saying, I obeyed perfectly, and I glorified the Father in everything I did. It is his shorthand of adding to that, I soon am going to go die a sacrificial death on the cross. I will rise from the dead, and then I will ascend to my Father where he is to be with him physically. I am going to my Father is the work of Jesus on our behalf, the solution to the problem of our sin. But this truth also contains the result, judgment, verse 11, the ruler of this world is judged, or put it in the right tense, has been judged. Jesus is saying, because of the work I will accomplish, redemption and restoration of all creation is certain. This is the truth, simple and straightforward, and it is in this truth that the Holy Spirit will lead us day in and day out, pushing the truth into all aspects of our lives, the simple, straightforward truth. That doesn't mean it's always easy to get right. One of my favorite comedians is Brian Regan, and he's got this whole bit about how easy, simple interactions can just go south. For example, when you're sitting in a restaurant and the server comes and brings you your meal and they say, enjoy your dinner, you might say, you too, They're not eating. They're working. Maybe you're flying somewhere and the gate agent says, have a nice flight. You too. They're working. They're not getting on the plane with you, right? My favorite is when he says, you go to say goodbye to somebody. And it's so easy to forget how simple the goodbye greeting can be. You could say, take care. You could say, good luck. But often it comes out, take luck. If you're ever going anywhere, take some luck with you. Take it wherever you're going. It's very simple, and we mess it up all the time. That's how I am with the truths of the gospel. They are simple and yet so easy for me to fumble. The truth, I am a sinner. Jesus has done the work to save me and everything turns out for the best in my heart, in my mind, and in my life often becomes, well, I'm not that big of a sinner. I probably have some work to do to save me and I'm not really sure if everything turns out for the best. We take the simple truths of the gospel and we fumble them up, which is why it's to our benefit that Jesus goes, to our benefit that he sends the helper, the comforter, the spirit of truth who will come into our hearts, dwell within us, guiding us, tutoring us, equipping us throughout our day with the reality of this simple truth that you are a sinner, that Jesus has done the work to save you, and God's plan for redemption will be accomplished. You need that truth for yourself and for the world. This is how the truth impacts us and people out there, for ourselves and for the world. See, when we confuse these simple truths of the gospel— or we think that there's something more that we need to learn or do, it creates in us this level of stress and anxiety. The pressure to perform, to learn, to know, 
to apply correctly. It's no wonder that the disciples were sorrowful, right? The, the word that John uses here means filled with pain and grief, yes, but also affliction and annoyance. It has the same connotation in Greek. They were losing their friend. They're hearing him say, I am going to depart from you after spending three years day in and day out with him. But they were also losing their conduit to righteousness. They thought their spiritual guide was leaving them. How on earth could they manage on their own? See, the Spirit of God that guides us through our life in this truth, it addresses our internal state. It wasn't wrong that they were sad. Jesus Himself was heartbroken several times throughout the gospel accounts. But His question to them is quite revealing. He says, I'm, gonna go, I'm going to Him who sent me, but none of you asks, where are you going? That's a question of perspective and not selfishness. Jesus isn't saying, hey, do you realize what I'm going to go through when you guys are sitting around all mopey? Do you even care about me? That's not what he's asking. He is saying, do you understand the reasoning behind my departure? Do you understand my destination? If you were to ask and understand where I'm going and why I'm going, you would be able to take hope and strength and stand it up next to your sorrow to deal in both of those things, to express your heartbrokenness to the Father and at the same time say, not my will, but your will be done, as Jesus Himself will say in a few hours. One of the things that I feel like God has been revealing to me over the past couple of weeks through our men's study, through talking with Nicole, through counseling, is how I have lived most of my life completely dependent on my own efforts. And I've done a pretty good job of dressing it up as being independent, but it's actually far more demanding and enslaving than that. And as I've seen that it comes from fumbling these simple truths of the gospel, it has developed some hard emotions in my life. Sorrow, because I feel alone in caring about these things. I'm really the only one in this status of good enough. Disappointment, because it seems like no one else is doing any of the work necessary, just me. And at points, despair and hopelessness, because I don't know how much more I can take on. And I'm not really sure I want to let any of these responsibilities drop. And do you know what I've learned the solution to all of those deep, hard emotions is? It's not fixing everything. It's not doing everything completely different but it's hearing and believing the truth of the gospel. The gospel that I have known and believed for almost my entire life, and slowly but surely, it's setting me free. Free enough to say, I'm actually not that good. I care about stuff, sure, but I don't care a lot about people. I am hardworking, yes, but often the work that I am doing doesn't make me better. It leads me away from God, from needing God. But I know and believe that Jesus' work on the cross secures me to Him and draws me closer to Him. It's actually effective. Free. And I think 
that becoming more free is changing the way that I relate to others and how I engage with the world out there, which is exactly what Jesus says will happen as the Spirit of truth leads us into all truth. It will begin to convict the world. And it's important for us to know that He uses this verb convict and not alienate. The Spirit of truth will lead you into all truth and therefore alienate the world or accuse the world, or condemn the world. Jesus says, convict. The power of the Holy Spirit is the change of truth in you, truth coming out of you, which brings conviction to those who don't believe. And we know from the Bible that conviction leads to repentance and new life. Brennan Manning, who is the author of the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, writes this, I think the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, my own heart and my own mind hears that and goes, you're right, lifestyle change, that's what is needed And it's easy for me to think that the lifestyle that He is calling us to is a lifestyle of being good and upstanding and sinless, a chest out, chin up, eyes front lifestyle. That's what being a good Christian is all about. But the truth is, that lifestyle doesn't need Jesus. It doesn't need Jesus. The Spirit of God leads us in the reality that when we are weak, then Jesus is strong. Now, this, this might seem inverted to you. It might seem backwards, right? If you want your friends and your coworkers and your family to know that the only way to find life abundant, the only way to truly live is to be weak, to admit your faults, to repent when you've hurt somebody, to own your failures, Right? It's not putting all of your eggs in your performance basket, trying your hardest, yes, but not working yourself to death. It looks like resting, and resting well, knowing that the work of Jesus is enough for you. It looks like being hopeful when everything seems dark. It looks like not being cynical about the good things, the blessings in life. That is the life of truth that the Spirit leads us into, and it is confusing to the world around us. That is a lifestyle that does not come from Silicon Valley. It comes from the Spirit of truth, which Jesus sends into the hearts of believers and changes the way that we live. And here's the amazing thing. This is what we've been saying all along as we've been talking about the Spirit. So often, when Jesus talks about how the Spirit works in the lives of believers, it's about plural working. The Spirit works in a community of believers, which means when you begin to ask these questions, which is the right job for me to take? How should I be parenting my kids? Who should I hang out with? Who should I date? Who should I get married to? The Spirit of God leads you into all the truth by surrounding you with brothers and sisters in Christ who are also filled with the Spirit of truth, 
who can speak the truth of the gospel into your life. You're a sinner. You are a sinner. Jesus has done the work necessary to save you. You cannot do the right thing to save yourself. Jesus has done it for you. And all things will work together for your good. God's work of redemption will be completed. So often, I have a really good illustration to end a sermon. But I'm going to confess to you, I didn't find anything good to end the sermon with. And so instead, I want to leave you with a challenge. A challenge to remember those three truths. You can keep it simple. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Or you can make it the truths as Jesus explains them. You are a sinner. Jesus has done the work necessary to save you. And God's work of redemption will be completed. And the challenge is not just to remember them, but at some point today, I would encourage you to tell someone else those truths, the truths of the gospel, and to tell yourself those truths. Because the Spirit works in you as much as it works in me, and I need the Spirit in you in the same way that you need the Spirit in me. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning, and we are thankful. Thankful that when Jesus departed, he did not leave us alone, but he actually filled us with himself, with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who never leaves us, who guides us, encourages us, through reminding us of the words of Jesus, the truths of the gospel, surrounding us with other people who can tell us the truth of the gospel, and changing us into the image of Christ so that the world around us might be convicted, and we ourselves, so that we know to turn in repentance and receive new life from you. We pray and thank you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.